Hello, and welcome to Through the Spectrum podcast, a mother's journey parenting autism. I'm your host and autism mama, Patty Cake. Well, yesterday was a very deep, dark part of my story. So today I wanted to keep it a little lighter and tell you about some of the joy that I received as a parent. Not everything is horrible, like I said. Um, And one of the aspects of my son's autism was a hyper-focus on subjects. I kind of touched base on that during the diagnosis episode, how he was, you know, super focused on dinosaurs for a while, and then we had moved on to trains. By the time Anthony was about three and a half, four years old, he started to show interest in sharks. This subject continued through age about six and a half, seven years old. And Anthony did not approach subjects like a neurotypical child. He wanted to know everything. I I could not give him enough information. And whenever I talk to people about these kinds of experiences that my kids gave me, I try to explain that you know, I have a very good memory. Um, and this information was kind of forced into my brain against my will, so to speak. Um, I, I didn't ask to learn these things, but because of my children and their interests, I ran with it. I, I let them explore any information they wanted to know about from a very scientific place. And sometimes it was almost like on collegiate level information that we were studying. We would watch every Discovery Channel program that you could find on sharks and whales and sea life. Anthony wanted to watch, you know, Animal Planet all the time. And we watched the 10 deadliest everything. But his, his central focus was sharks. And I would find books, encyclopedias specifically about all the different sharks. And there was one that was his favorite because it was a spiral bound. And every single page had a picture of the shark. And it depicted all this information about where they breed and where they live and what, they, what water temperature they prefer. And not that sharks are limited in a, in a grander scheme, I mean, the water's all connected at one place or another around the earth, the seawater, but certain sharks are more prevalent in certain areas because the temperatures of the water or because of the um, tide cycles that go th- across the ocean. My earliest memories of Anthony, like I had said before, he, he was a fish. He loved to be in the water. And whenever he was about 10 months old, we had taken a trip with his sister to Disney World. And this was before Corbin was born. I was actually pregnant with Corbin at this time. And we went to Disney World, Florida. And we went to SeaWorld as well. His favorite thing there was the penguin exhibit. He, They have this exhibit there where the penguins are, there's like an ice area where the penguins stand, but then they swim under the water and he would sit there for 
a good 30, 45 minutes just watching them swim back and forth. And he would squeal and say, bubbles, bubbles, bubbles. Because whenever they swam, the little air bubbles would come out of their mouth. These little air bubbles would come up and create millions of tiny little bubbles. And he just thought that was so amazing. So we went into the souvenir shop and Anthony had found this little puppet that looked like, it was like a hand puppet, but it looked like a penguin. And it was really soft. And that had become his his uh, comfort object over time. And he, he named it Bubbles. My daughter had a comfort object that she had attached to when she was very small. And when she was about four years old, we lost it. Um, there's a, a long family folklore story that goes with that, you know, who lost it, when they lost it, where they might have lost it. And we had lost it several times, but we always found it. But but when she was about four years old, we found we lost it for good. And we tried to replace it with another one that was similar, but she it, it just never took because that was not the same one. So whenever Anthony showed, you know, a severe dependency on this as his comfort object. My mom called down to SeaWorld and had them ship her like 10 of them um, so that if any of them got lost, he always had one to replace it. And we gave them all to him so that they would have the smells because he had that heightened sense of smell. So he had like all these little hand puppets Everywhere he went, they had, they were at my house, they were at my mom's house, they were in the car, like anywhere we went, we had a bubbles. This continued on until he was about three, whenever he really started to show the interest in sharks. And my parents every year used to buy us memberships to the local museums and aquariums in the area as like a birthday gift or a Christmas gift. And whenever children were in school was the best time to take Anthony because there were less children there. And it was a great activity for him to be able to go and experience these animals kind of in their semi-habitat. We would spend hours just watching, you know, the, the aquatic life. And they had a touch tank there. Uh, I was for stingrays. And my mom called me one day just laughing hysterically. And she was like, you're not going to believe what your son did at the aquarium today. And I was like, well, what did he do, mom? And uh, she said that whenever he saw the touch tank and he saw all of the little stingrays swimming around, and it was kind of a large pool, but it was really shallow, uh, maybe like three feet deep. And you could lean over and touch them. And he just thought that was incredible. And she said he started to take off his clothes and try to get in the tank. And she had to stop him. And the, and the staff there was like, no, 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 no. You know, um, she said it was really funny. Um, but, but you know, very atypical for a child to try to get in there with the, with the uh, animals. But he loved going to that aquarium and just splashing his hands in that water and letting the stingrays come up and touch him. He would giggle and it was just so wonderful. So as we started to make our deep dive, pun intended, into the ocean, the world of the ocean and all things of the deep, 
Anthony would study everything. And I love the ocean personally. I've, I've lived, you know, in Virginia Beach pretty much my whole life. I was born here. The ocean is part of your summer. It's it's not and it, and for me it's even part of my my winter and my fall and my spring. I stopped participating in the act of swimming in the ocean at a very young age because I was stung by jellyfish and bit by um, crabs. And I was just like, well, that that's their home. And so I have this very set standard way I approach wildlife. And that is when I'm in their space, they did not invite me there. So I have to respect that. Just like they don't come to my home uninvited. So that's kind of how I approach the water, but my children do not. And they love to go to the beach. They, they just love splashing and playing in the water. Um, they have no fear of that. And, and whenever they were small, I would tell them like, you can only go as far as your waist because I'm not coming to save you out there. Uh, I would not get in the water. I was terrified of it. And I always had to bring someone with me that was willing to get in the water with them. Um, but I definitely would sit on the beach and and uh, build sandcastles with them or um, splash in the, you know, just the edge of the surf. It's just something about being in that water that made me uncomfortable. Um, but I came to understand it a little better as my son explored sharks and I was afraid of sharks. I'm not going to lie. You know, whenever you look at the attacks ratio to other harmful things that we do to ourselves or, or situations we put ourselves in, it's like less than 1% of people ever get attacked by a shark. However, that was enough for me. Um, and I knew about, you know, the, the, the more well-known sharks, you know, the great white shark and the bull shark and the hammerhead shark, um, the mako, the reef sharks, things like that. I, I knew about those already, but as I came to study these sharks in depth with my son, I found out there are 374 known species of shark out there known species. There are still more that we still don't understand about the ocean and probably have not discovered. And that number might sound like a little bit, but that's just the number of species. That doesn't identify how many of them per species there are out there. And that was just enough to keep me out of the water completely forever and ever. I try to encourage my children to follow their hearts and whatever they wanted to learn about. One of the, one of my favorite memories of Anthony was the first time I took him to the Georgia Aquarium. Now the Georgia Aquarium is much larger. Um, it has a 8 million gallon tank. And one of Anthony's favorite sharks was the whale shark. That shark is a gentle giant. And I think Anthony could relate to it because even though he never meant harm to anyone, he was kind of that gentle giant. Not that he was a big kid, 
but he was strong. His strength was beyond his years and beyond our comprehension. He was a strong, strong child. And so I think that he understood the whale shark in the way that it seems intimidating sometimes. And I'm, I'm sure he felt like people found him intimidating. But really, whale sharks only eat minute creatures, krill and algae and really small because they're a filter feeder. They don't even have teeth. So he found a fascination with that particular shark. And whenever he saw that shark for the first time, I saw my son light up. It was like he connected with some other living being for the first time. And he was almost five by this point. And he got so excited and he just started spilling all the information from his head about this shark. And then they had like a brochure where it had pictures of the different sharks that you would encounter within the aquarium. And we had to scour and, and like a scavenger hunt and look for all these different sharks. And Anthony would squeal with delight and just get so excited. And of course I had his sister and brother there with me and they were kind of tagging along and they were excited to see his excitement, but they were not quite as excited about the experience as he was, but it, it just, you know, we, we all gathered around as a family and were able to experience that together. And that was some of the really cool stuff that as an autistic parent, I would have never experienced that as a neurotypical parent because the deep dive into subjects like this, we're just, that that's not what the neurotypical parenting experience usually is. Your child loves a lot of different subjects at a lot of different times. But when Anthony was about um, five, we went back to Disney and we went to SeaWorld again. And we got to take, I, I purchased for him specifically the Predator Tour. And the Predator Tour was a behind the scenes tour where you could go and they would talk about the different sharks and they would talk about um, killer whales or orcas and the different, you know, things about their life. And we were standing there and the person that was giving the tour was explaining how sharks have six different senses compared to our five. And she asked the crowd, you know, do you, do you know what all the different senses are? And people put their hands up, you know, sight and smell. And mind you, these are adults. Most of them were adults. There were a couple teenagers, um, but my son was only five and they had to make an exception for him to be on this tour because generally you had to be above a certain age to be there. So I had to pay for both him and I to attend this tour as his guide and, and chaperone because of his age, like he was only five, but he was dying to do this. And the highlight was going to be, he would get to touch a shark for the first time, like really touch a shark. So these 
people were going around and they were saying, you know, sight and smell and sound and um, taste and touch, you know, the vibrations of the water, that kind of thing. And my little five-year-old held up his hand and she kind of hesitantly called on him and he blurted out the ampullae of Lorenzini. This shocked everyone. One, all of the people that were there had no idea what he was talking about. And two, the guide knew what he was talking about, but could not believe a five-year-old had said that and knew what it meant. And she looked at him and she said, exactly. She said, do, do you know what that is? And Anthony went on to explain to the crowd that the ampullae of Lorenzini is like an electrical system inside the shark's body and it lives just below their chin and it helps them as they're swimming to find food below the sand or beneath their body. So if a flounder were under the, were laying flat under the sand, the shark's ampullae of Lorenzini would pick up the electrical pulses given off by that flounder under the sand and could detect exactly where it was. People were just aghast that this little five-year-old knew. And I just stood there so proud of my little man who had basically led his own little mini lecture for the day. He was like a little professor. It was so adorable. Uh, we also understood what come to find out like sharks, their sense of smell is so acute that it can smell one drop of blood in millions of gallons of water over five miles away. Like one drop of blood. Like that's crazy. Or it can hear when a ship wrecks and it goes to find food when that happens. It can sense so many things. And I think that Anthony, in his own way, was able to connect with them that way because he had such heightened senses. He could smell things that other people couldn't and detect things almost like that ampullae of Lorenzini. Like his sensory was so acute. His sense of sight, his sense of smell, his sense of taste and touch and texture. He was just such a sensitive kid. And I think that that was how he connected so well to these magnificent animals that we came to understand because the gift he gave us of this extra education we would have never received. You know, his sense of smell was, I have a funny story about that. My best friend, whenever Anthony was about three, moved far away. And, and that hurt my heart because I was, we were like sisters. Uh, we, we spent, oh, and she was so helpful and supportive. And we spent, I mean, all my children called her auntie. They, they did not know her by any other um, name, but auntie. And we went to visit her one time and it was an eight hour drive. And we had to drive through this town uh, in Virginia called Franklin. Well, in Franklin, there's a paper mill there and it gives off this very strange 
pungent odor. And I would have to leave at like four in the morning, pack up all my kids. And I did these trips alone by myself with no co-pilot. I just packed the kids in and we were going to see auntie. We would stop for breakfast in Emporia and get a little something, something. And then whenever we got to Franklin, usually the kids were back asleep because it was still like very early in the morning. But Anthony smelled Franklin and he woke up and he said, mom, what is that smell? And the other two were just sleeping. I said, well, Anthony, that's the paper mill that lives in Franklin. Franklin has this paper mill and that's the smell that paper gives off when it's being made. Whenever they compress the, the tree pulp and fiber and break it down so much that it makes us paper. That's how that happens. He was like, oh, it's awful. And I was like, yeah. He said, how long does it last? And I was like, well, it's going to last for several miles, buddy, until it just kind of dissipates in the air. So we would go see my best friend and come back and have to go through Franklin again. And this went on every single time we went out to visit her. Later on, when they were about, I guess, um, Anthony was about six and Corbin was five or something like that. Anthony and Corbin were painting and coloring in paper. And Corbin was still, you know, figuring it out. And he said, man, I sure do love coloring. I'm so glad God made paper. And Anthony piped up and he looked and he said to Corbin, he said, God didn't make this paper. Franklin did. And I just laughed so hard. Because the way it came across was that Franklin was a person, not a town, and that Franklin was a paper mill and had made all this paper. Like, it was just so cute and funny the way that the language rolled off of my kids' tongues and the way that they used these words in different contexts. Um... It was just amazing. And, and I learned so much from my kids that way. They were just so eye-opening and helped me see the world from such a different place. A simpler place. A more concrete place. A much more fun place than it can be sometimes but it was from a happy place and an educational place. And I still cherish these little moments that made my life and my experience so joyful and so filled with wonder. They reminded me that even though I was an adult, it was okay to still see the simple beauty in the world.